Imagine for a moment, even if it's just for a brief moment, that you spent the last four years of your life training for one event. Every day for four years, you train to complete in the Olympics, specifically in the Olympic road bike race. For women, the race is about 86 miles of grueling riding that includes climbing up grades of about 13%. To train, you have to ride every day for four years, putting tens of hundreds of hours and thousands of miles in the saddle behind you. And then the day comes. It's August 7th, and the race starts. It's a hot day in Rio, and you race. You race a couple hours, and for the first 80 miles or so, you're together with the group hanging on. You're working your hardest. After all, this is what you trained the last four years to do. In the last couple miles, you get to the final ascent up a mountain. And this is your area of expertise. You're a climber. And you decide at that moment you are going to break away from the group. You're going to make your move. You are going to win this race. And you break away. And you ride your heart out. At one point, you turn around to look back and you see there's no riders behind you that you can see. You get to the top of the mountain, and you begin your descent to the finish line. Again, you look behind you, there's no one anywhere near you. And you fly down the descent to the straightaway. You're a couple kilometers from the finish line, and you are pedaling your heart out. You get closer to the finish line, you're a thousand meters away and you turn around and suddenly you notice a couple riders coming up your back. You get within 500, yard, 500 meters of the finish line and those three riders are now breathing down your neck. And at 300 meters, they pass right by you. And at 100 meters, you watch gold Silver and bronze pass right before your eyes because it's a sport in which the person who finishes fourth doesn't get anything. Such was the fate of Mara Abbott. Mara was on the U.S. road bike team, and that's exactly what happened to her during that race on August 7th. She saw that Olympic gold in front of her eyes for a brief second, only to lose it to those three other racers. Now, six months ago, I don't think I would have even known that there was biking in the Olympics. A year ago, the Tour de France, probably the most famous bike race in the world, Passed my, by, I didn't even know it happened. 
But this past summer, I spent hours watching coverage of the Tour de France. And while others were watching gymnastics and swimming and basketball, I was following the Olympic cycling. You see, this past May, I discovered the world of cycling. I've taken up riding. And in a very short period of time, I've learned a lot of very important lessons in life. And this evening, I want to share some of those lessons with you with a nod towards how we also learn these very same lessons in our own tradition. So let me start by telling you how I got started. Because really, how I got started teaches two of probably the most important lessons that I've learned when it comes to riding. Back in May, I was looking for something to do to exercise. I was getting a little tired of running and going to the gym, and I wanted to find something else to do. And I was talking to other people about what they do. I was talking to Jerry Welt, and he shared with me how much he was enjoying biking. And suddenly, as I was talking about biking to people, I found out that there were a lot of people who were regular riders. Well, I had an old mountain bike in my garage that I bought probably 20, 25 years ago. Probably rode three or four times before I left it in the garage. It was in total disrepair. And if I was going to spend money on a new bike, I didn't want to spend money trying to repair this one. But as I found out, road bikes can be very expensive. So before I invested in one and had it end up in the same place the mountain bike ended up, I wanted to try one out. So what do we do these days when we uh, are in this situation? We turn to social media. So I put a shout out to some friends asking, does anybody have a road bike that I can borrow to test out for a while? And sure enough, Ed Pack was gracious enough to loan me his road bike. He had a road bike that he wasn't using. He was gracious enough to bring it to my house. Well, I actually went and picked it up, but he set me up. And so I began my quest. The first time I went out, I used time as my gauge rather than distance. I rode about a half an hour, 15 minutes out, 15 minutes back. The next time I went out, I went out about an hour and slowly began to add to that time. And at some point over this period of time of riding, Scott Shire found out that I was riding. Now, Scott is a seasoned cyclist, done triathlons and Ironman, but he had just had some surgery. And he told me he was looking to ease back into cycling. So I thought it was a perfect opportunity. And he was more than happy for us to ride together. And so we started to ride together. There was just one problem. Ed found out that Scott and I were riding together. And he said he wanted to join. But he needed his bike back. <laughs> so at the end of June, I was forced, forced to go out and buy a new bike. And so I did.
Now, when riding with Scott, one of the things that you learn is that uh, taking it easy is very relative. <laughs> By July, he had me riding round trip to Boulder City, 30 miles back and forth to my house. He had us riding to Lake Las Vegas, to the Westin at Lake Las Vegas, another 30 miles round trip from the Westin to my house. And some of you may have uh, seen on Facebook that uh, about a week and a half ago, he insisted that uh, we do a 57.77 mile ride in one day in honor of the new year. So much for taking it easy. So, what lessons did I learn from the beginning of this process? Well, the first lesson that I learned was that just about anyone, no matter what age, no matter what physical place they are in their life, no physical condition, no matter what financial situation, just about anyone can start riding. I'm 48. I probably haven't ridden a bicycle since, in this way, since I was a teenager. But I was able to step up and start riding. I had the opportunity to ride with retired Professor Larry Grossman, who when he rides, rides 35 miles out and adds about an elevation of uh, 2,000 feet during that 35 miles. While you're on the paths around the city, you encounter people of all ages, men, women, children. And let me tell you, when you're riding and you're being passed by people 30 years your senior, it gives you a lot of motivation. Now, it may seem obvious, but this same notion that just about anyone can get started also applies to Judaism. Just like with cycling, and you think when you start cycling you're worried, do you have the right bike, do you have the right gear, do you know the streets and the paths? The same thing holds true for Judaism. Many, even those born into Judaism, who haven't had the opportunity to study, fear, a sense of being overwhelmed by all that our, has, our tradition has to offer. After all, we have 4,000 years of history, of culture, of customs and rituals, and it can be overwhelming. But just like with cycling, you got to start somewhere. And please know that we here at Midbar Kodesh are here to help you start. The second lesson that I learned was that there is an incredible sense of camaraderie among bike riders. And I found it to be particularly awe-inspiring. Scott and Ed, I apologize for uh, keep singling you guys out, but I really do owe you a debt of gratitude. In addition to Ed loaning me his bike to get started, Scott loaned me the gear I needed, the clothing, told me what I, extra stuff I needed to buy, helped me learn how to gear up and gear down, 
how to coax myself up the hills. And I'll say conservatively, I'm probably half as fast as Scott and Ed. But there was never a time when we ride that they just drop me and leave me. <laughs> Even though I'm sure at sometimes they would like to. There are times when they ride ahead and I can see them up ahead and oftentimes Scott will double back and come down and meet me again and ride with me a little more. But there's this sense that you never leave somebody behind. And it's not just Scott and Ed. You find when you're on the paths, when you're riding, that fellow riders are there to cheer you on, to say hello, good morning. If you ever need an extra tool, a spare inner tube, extra food, some water, a rider will be there to help you. Someone you've never met before will be there to help you. It's a wonderful sense of camaraderie that goes along with riding. And that same lesson can be learned in our own tradition. And if we haven't learned it, then we are failing at teaching one of the most fundamental principles of Judaism. Call Yisrael Aravim Zebazet. All of us are responsible one for another. I would love to know that all of us feel about Midbar Kodesh the way that I have begun to feel about the riding community. And if you don't, if we haven't made people feel that way, then there's something wrong. We have a responsibility to make people feel that as part of this community, whenever you need us, we are all here for one another. The third lesson that I learned was that you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fail. So when I bought the bike, I said I was going to go all in. So I went and got the uh, pedals that you have to clip into with special shoes. So it means that you're basically locked into the pedals. And what that means is that when you slow down and come to a stop, gravity takes over. And if you don't unclip your foot quick enough, or if you unclip the wrong foot, you're going to fall. And fall, I have, many times. I've also, there was one time where Scott and I went out for a long ride. We met at my house, we left. About two miles into the ride, I reached down to pick up my water bottle. And I realized that both my water bottles were sitting on my kitchen counter. <laughs> there are times where I've gone riding and I have a little odometer to keep track of the miles that I'm putting on. And I don't realize that I haven't set the odometer until about halfway through the ride. Now, I've also learned that these aren't just rookie mistakes. Even the pros crash and fall. And if you read stories about some of the pros, they'll tell you some of the crazy mistakes that they've made in the course of their training, in the course of their riding. But what's important is that they've learned from those mistakes and try very hard not to make those same mistakes twice. 
The same goes for Judaism. We are a tradition, we are a religion that allows for mistakes. We don't expect everyone to get it right. We understand that people are fallible. Which brings me to the fourth lesson that I have learned while riding the bike. And that's a lesson in humility. No matter how good a rider you are, no matter what shape a rider you're in, no matter how fancy a bike you have, it's tough riding up hills. It's tough riding in the wind. It's tough riding in the rain. And just when you think you've mastered some aspect of riding, Mother Nature will throw something at you that you never expected. Look at poor Mara Abbott, who was just a couple hundred meters from the gold medal until reality slapped her in the face. Humility is a lesson that we learn in our religion. We are all here today, tonight, and, to, and tomorrow. We're going to spend the next 25 hours expressing that humility, asking God for forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong, putting our egos and our pretensions aside. We all stand here in these 25 hours chanting, Hinani Ha'animi Ma'as. Here I am standing before you, God, impoverished, unworthy. We learn a deep sense of humility from celebrating Yom Kippur. There's a fifth lesson that I've learned, a fifth and final lesson that I've learned since I've started riding. You can push yourself beyond your limits and gain a real sense of accomplishment. As you ride around town, there are a lot of steep hills. And uh, I guarantee you Scott knows every single one of them. Now these hills are all famous to the point where riders have named them. There's the I Ain't Afraid of No Hill at the top of Horizon Ridge. There's the Three Sisters on the River Mountain Loop. And the first time you come to these steep climbs, you say to yourself, I don't even think I can walk up that hill, let alone ride the bike. Because remember, you can't stop when you're going up when your feet are clipped into the pedals. <laughs> but when you get to the top, panting, out of breath, your heart beating out of your chest, and you turn around and you look down at what you just came up, you realize that that's why you're doing this. You're doing it to get that sense of accomplishment. And the same thing holds true in Judaism. All of us here have the opportunity to take something new on this year. To take on a new ritual. To come to services to learn how to read Torah, to read Haftorah. Just to have an aliyah to the Torah. There's a tremendous sense of accomplishment that comes when we take on 
these new rituals and customs in Judaism. And we all have the opportunity to do that. So these are the few lessons that I've learned over the past couple months as I have begun to participate in this wonderful riding community. And they're just a few lessons. I know that there's many more lessons for me to learn. I'm about to uh, have to start riding in uh, some cold weather. I have a goal of trying to uh, ride a long-distance multi-day race, or at least a bike ride. And I know that there are probably many lessons I'll be learning during that period of time as well. It's never too late to start. Camaraderie. Learning from our mistakes. Humility. Pushing ourselves beyond our limits. These are the lessons that I have learned. I learned them about biking, and I learned them about our own tradition about Judaism as well. Shana Tova.